17th verse, And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. Now in the morning as he returned into the city, he hungered, and when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only. And he said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? In Mark 11 and 22, when considering the same event, the Bible says, Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. This exhortation stands in connection with the miracle of the withering of that fig tree that was clad with leaves, but it had no fruit. It's now Tuesday. This is, this is Passion Week. This is the last week of the Lord's life. And he's made his way. He's had his sabbatical rest on a Saturday. And Sunday, he is at the house of uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Lazarus, you know, has died. And Jesus is now in the presence of death itself. But he conquers death when he says, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible said, and Lazarus came forth. And Jesus said, take the grave clothes off of him. Praise the Lord. We have, there are three instances of Jesus bringing people back to life who are dead. This is one of them. The other is the widow of, of Nain, and the other is Jairus's daughter. So we have these instances where Jesus deals with death, and he proves that he is Lord over death and that he has conquered death, and that he's mastered death, and he commands death, and death must lose its hold when Jesus says resurrection. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and he that believeth in him, though he were dead, yet shall he live again. So this passage about the withering of the fig tree is actually all about faith. Now, in theology, we call that epistemology. Can you say epistemology? Tough word to spit out, isn't it? Epistemology. And then things concerning your faith are called epistemic and epistemology. It has to do with what you believe and what is the condition of your faith. And all of us in this room today have things we firmly believe in, things that we know for a fact. You see, faith is not a feeling, and faith is not an emotion. Faith is not an opinion. Faith is a fact. And what happens when we believe the fact is we have faith. And when we pray a prayer of faith, the, the verbs, we'll see it right here in a, a moment, is attached to this same passage where Jesus in Mark chapter 11 says uh, to them that as you pray, this, this spirit uh, works such a work that what you are praying for begins happening as you pray the prayer. It doesn't wait till some extended time, but the faith to have that possession that you're praying for and that you're praying about happens as you pray. The spirit of prayer 
has attached to it multiple spirits. One is the spirit of faith. Another is the spirit of forgiveness. Because as you pray, Jesus said, this item of forgiveness goes along with it. Because as you forgive those who have sinned against you, then there is forgiveness available to you in the prayer that you pray. If you have for forgiveness, you have, hold no ought against anybody, you have no issue with anybody, you have no, no point of contention with anybody, then you can pray prayers that get answers. In fact, the Bible, Jesus gave a, a, a teaching about that when he said, when you go to the altar and stand praying. Stand praying. And as you pray, you remember that you have an ought with your brother. Come on, somebody. And he said, stop praying. I preach a sermon about when prayer will do you no good. And if you have an ought with somebody, you need to fix it so your prayers are answered. Amen. Amen. Jesus said, when you stand praying, and there you remember that you have an issue with a brother. He said, get up, go to the brother, fix the issue. Then come back to the altar, and your prayer then will be answered and heard. Now, things that hinder our praying and hinder our prayers are when we have unresolved issues. Amen. When we sing, it is well with my soul, that's what we're talking about. When, when, we, when we say, uh, I know he hears when I pray, it means I know that biblically and spiritually I have resolved all of these, and there is no animosity in my heart. There is no vengeance, no spite. Somebody say amen. amen. You see, some people think that I can just say it and God is obligated to do it. But there is a, a, another thing that is attached to that because you can't just pray out of a, a, a spirit that has unresolved issues. Psalm 50, 14. Got that? Put it up there for me. I want everybody to read that with me. It wasn't in my notes, but it just popped in my mind. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Psalm 50, 14. Offer thanks unto God. Anybody in this house offer thanks unto God? Anybody thankful? Amen. Offer thanks unto God. And then pay your vows unto the Most High. All right, first be a worshiper. First be a worshiper. Offer thanks unto God. Now there's a difference in praise and worship. Praise is thanking God for what He has done. Worship is thanking God for who he is. So you got to be a praiser and you got to be a worshiper. Amen. And he said, offer thanks to God, pay your vows unto the most high, and then do what? Call on me. Call on me in the day of trouble. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will consider delivering thee. 
I might deliver thee. Most probably I would deliver thee. My normal response is to deliver you. That's not what it reads. Don't you let me get away with that. That's not what that says. It says if you offer thanks and you pay your vows, you live like you're supposed to live. you got integrity in your spiritual relationship with God. If you've got those two things, worship and integrity, then call on me and I will deliver you. Not I'll put you on a list, but I will deliver you. And the Bible said God cannot lie. Woo! And I'm talking about what's in your belief system. Now, if that's in your belief system, put that verse in your belief system. And when trouble comes a-knocking, I said when, not if, when trouble comes a-knocking, then get inside that area of you where you examine what you really believe. In your heart of hearts, what you really know that you know in your knower what you believe. And that verse ought to be in that list. Offer thanks to God, pay your vows, call upon me, I will deliver. It works at the hospital, it works at the funeral home, it works on the side of the highway, it works on the church pew. Wherever you are, if you offer thanks unto God and pay your vows, then call upon him. He says for you to call on him, and he said, and I will deliver you. And by the, using the present tense in that verb, it means it's happening now. I said that verb is in the present aorist tense. In the Greek, what it literally means is, as I am praying, it is happening. In fact, praying is so attached to this, what Jesus is saying, he's saying that in Mark, he says, if, ask what you will and it shall be done. He says, if you command uh, this mountain to be, to the Greek reads, literally throw itself into the sea. I didn't know a mountain could throw itself. But it's, Jesus said, if you have faith, then you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea. Go soak yourself. Go for a swim. Jump off a cliff. Get out of my way. Get out of my life. Get out of my heart. Get out of my family. Get out of my job. Get out of my relationship. Just get out. I'm throwing you out. I'm throwing you out. Mountain be removed. Be thrown out. Woo! Glory to God. My God, I could preach that a while. Throw it out. I preach sometimes about shake it off when Paul shook it off in the fire, that old serpent that attached to him. Sometimes when you're doing God's work, a little old snake will come along and try to attach itself to you. And you got to have enough fire when you come to church that you can shake it off. I said you got to have enough fire that when you come to church you can shake it off. Praise God. If you say to this mountain, get out of my way, Go throw yourself in the sea. 
And the Bible said you could say it if you had faith enough to believe it, it would happen. Wow. You mean this faith and praying has to do with Jesus on, on his way? And on his way the first time as he goes in, he stops at Lazarus' house and raises Lazarus, and Lazarus is raised, and, and then Jesus rests. And then this happens on a Tuesday of Passion Week. And he left them. In other words, he'd been... On Monday, he had been in the temple doing what we call cleansing the temple. When Jesus went and saw the money changers and he saw all the things that were going on, and that's a great message to preach. In fact, the Bible said that he, he drove out the cattle, he turned over the money changers' tables, and he said, take the doves away. Now, notice the wording right there because it's very indicative of our Lord. Cattle that have been run out of the temple can be gathered up again. Money that is spilt on the ground from the overturned tables can be gathered up and put back on the table and set it back up again. If you turn the doves loose, they're gone. What that says is the owner of those doves has suffered injury and loss. Jesus always corrects and rebukes, but he does it where things can be restored and he'll never release something that can't be gathered back up and injure and hurt someone. His reproof is not injurious. In fact, is it the bruised reed he will not break? The wick of the candle that is well worn he will not snuff out? That has reference to the way the Lord deals with us. Praise the Lord. His loving kindness is always expressed to us even in times of correction and in reproof. So Jesus cleanses the temple, and this is what happened next. And he left them. And he went out of the city to Bethany. He went over to his friend's house where resurrection took place. He went back to his friend's where he had straightened out Martha, commended Mary, and raised Lazarus. I'd say that was an interesting household, wasn't it? Yeah. So this Lord of life inside the chamber of death had conquered death. And the Bible said he, he went and retreated and spent that night at the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus in Bethany. And now this event happens the next morning. In fact, Dr. Gauls would tell me that it happened at about 5 a.m. And I would say, Dr. Gauls, how do you know that? He said, because that is the traditional first feeding of the day for Jewish people. So Jesus comes walking down the road from Bethany. It's about two miles. You think it's a long place off, but it's pretty close. In fact, Bethlehem is only a couple of miles from Jerusalem. And here, here comes Jesus from Bethany walking on the road to Jerusalem. And it 
comes 5 a.m. early in the morning and the dinner bell rings. How about the breakfast bell? And the Bible said, and Jesus saw a lone tree. Mark called it a lone tree. Matthew just said he fasting his eyes upon it, observed it. It got the Lord's attention. Now, so many times the Bible said it was not the time of figs. In other words, it wasn't the season when the Jews regularly gathered their figs. They usually gathered them in May. This is only April. And Jesus is now in contact with a food source that is supposed to have fruit on it in another month. Fig trees in Palestine put their fruit out before they put their foliage out. That means the fruit, the little knobs of the fig trees, appear on the trees long before the leaves do. So that when the leaves appear on the tree, then the figs are ripe and are rushes. They're called the, the first, firstborn, the first life that appears when they're just a little bulb there on a shoot on a limb. When Jesus got to this tree, all other trees that were standing around there were just sticks sticking up like they do in the dead of winter because it was not the time of figs. They were just sticks, skeletal. No leaves, no foliage. And they all knew, don't expect foliage before you see fruit. You'll see a sign of fruit on that limb before you see any of the trees. When Jesus looked at this lone tree standing off by itself, it was full of leaves. Is that what the Bible says? Full of leaves. When every other tree was barren, stick sticking up, but this one tree had leaves. To every Palestine Jew, or every Jew that lived in Palestine, they knew when you see leaves on a fig tree, it's got fruit on it. What the problem was, this was a hypocrite tree. Why is that, Pastor? Because the tree advertised all these leaves and all this foliage, and when Jesus went to find fruit, there was no fruit. And Jesus looked at that situation, and he said, you blatant hypocrite. You've run ahead of all other trees. It's not your season, but you've already broke the rule of all creation. You've already become so arrogant that you've assumed that you can break all the rules of nature which I created. And now you sit here on the side of the road as if you're some great and mighty fig producer. And you're a hypocrite. You're a phony. Boy, it suddenly got quiet in here. 
you didn't really think that's why Jesus cursed that thing, did you? And boy, all the disciples went, boy, they couldn't believe it. What just happened? Because Jesus said, henceforth and forevermore, there will never be fruit on you ever again to that tree. And the Bible said, and it withered. Didn't say it died. Didn't say it turned to dust. Didn't say it disappeared. It just said, Mark's account says, from the roots up, it withered. There's only one thing that causes foliage to wither. In John 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine and your branches. And he said, every branch that is in me that beareth fruit, the Father prunes. Why does God cut on a limb that is already producing fruit? Jesus said that it might bear more fruit. You mean Jesus expects more out of me than just the average? Yeah, he's always trying to make you better. He's always trying to make you more fruitful. He's always ready trying to make you a, a, a more more logical tool in the master's hand to be something for God that you never thought possible. God wants you to realize your dream, realize your destiny, realize the promises that God has given to you. And that happens because the Lord keeps giving attention to you who are the branches. He is the vine, we are the branches. But then, Charles, he talks about some folks that don't bear any fruit. That have somehow become disconnected from the vine. Come on, somebody. And suddenly realize that there's just brittle, dead limbs that used to be branches because that's the way they got there in the first place. But somehow after they got there, they got corrupted some way that they stopped their connection to the vine and they died. And the Bible said they fell to the ground. And the Bible said this, what did they use them for? Come on, you Bible scholars, come on. They are to be gathered up by men and burned, come on, and burned in the furnace in such a way that they would never now let's go back to our semblance here that we've got of this, this withered up tree that has withered because it lost connection with its source because its creator created a proper way, a fitting and proper way for that tree to bear fruit. But that tree said, I'm not going to go that way and I'm not going to do it in the season that God said do it. Come on! 
I'm going to have it my way. I'm going to do it the way I opinion. I'm going to carry this thing out, and I'm going to advertise really big so I can draw a crowd and make everybody else think that I'm holier than thou and that I've got all these things going on in my life and that I've got personal purity and I've got faith to move mountains and I've got all, all this foliage, got all these leaves. But the key caption right there, the Bible said, and the, when the Lord came to it. The Lord came to the tree. Brother, there's going to come a situation in your life when he's going to come. He's going to come. Going to come. Old Elijah, when he is hid in that hole in the ground called Horeb, and he was so despondent and depressed, and he was so destitute and he was sitting there and said I think I'm just going to kill myself I think I'm just going to die I'm going to sit right here and die in this hole in the ground somebody say next verse the next verse says and the word of the Lord came unto me I want to tell you there's no hole in the ground there's no island there's no place so solitary, but what the Word of God can't hunt you down. Now, you may come to church in your little hole in the ground thinking the Word can't find you, but you might be surprised to know the Word of God will get on your trail and He'll hunt you down. And when the Word of God hunted Elijah down, found him in that hole, the Bible said, what are you doing here? Have you ever had God ask you, what are you doing here? Hung your harp on a willow tree? Haven't got a song to sing? Haven't got a word of faith to support you? Just poor little old me. He'll come to you. I said, he'll come to you. He loves you too much to leave you. He said, I won't take my hands off of you. So you can mark it on the wall. He's coming. I said, he's coming. I said, he's coming. He'll hunt you down till he finds you. And Elijah said, I've just hunkered up here and I think I'm going to die. And what I'm trying to tell you, God, is when I'm gone, you don't have anybody else. Nobody's preaching wholeness but me. I'm all you've got. And God said, I've got 7,000 you don't even know anything about. I've got people in reserve. I've got a reserve corps that's standing ready. I, I know things that you don't know, and you're making assumptions that you don't realize are, are wrong, and you need to understand that I know more about it than you do. And he said, now get up off of that seat of, of disconsolation and get yourself out here on the front of this cave that you've hunkered up in. Walked out on front of the cave and the Bible said there was a great earthquake. Boo, loo, 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 loo. Everything's shaking. You ever had everything shaking in your life? Brother, when old Paul had that shaking going on in his life and it threw him off his donkey, I said it shook so bad it shook him off of his donkey. And there he was laying in the dirt and he looked up and said, Who art thou, Lord? Yeah. Hey, 
There's coming a time when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. It's coming. He's coming. You're going to realize he's Lord one of these days. Oh, blessed be God, there'll be some calamity, some catastrophe, some need, some earthquake, some earth-shattering, shaking going on where you're going to say, Who art thou, Lord? And what do you want me to do? He's going to tell you first thing you do is get up. Get up. Huh? Come on, somebody. Brother, those Israelites were on their face. Moses was dead. He's not coming back. I don't know what we're going to do. Our pastor's dead. And God spoke to Joshua and said, Joshua, get up. And go out there and tell these people to get up. Get up off your face. Stop your whining. Stop your crying. Make preparations, then let's cross over this Jordan. See, there comes a time when God's got to come to you. Comes a time where all that's going on around you is not near as important as what's going on inside you. And you've got to make that, that, that correction and make that adjustment in your life. That tree sat there withered. What angered Jesus so much was the hypocrisy of a tree that said it was fruitful but wasn't. That had broken all the rules to make everybody else think that's a great tree. How many times over the years that, I, that I've pastored this church that it, it, it's, it's amazing uh, of the people you know that are super-duper whooper-whoppers. Amen. Brother, to look on the outside, you'd think they was chasing the devil with a switch. If you could hear them testify, brother, they whirled without end. On the outside, brother, I mean they was covered up with leaves. But don't you ever depend on them for something. Because the day you expect something of faith, then you'll be disappointed because they hadn't got it. Oh, they look flashy. They talk flashy. They've got all the evidence, got all of the appearance. But when time comes to be who you're supposed to be and act like you're supposed to act, fooey on you, I'm out of here. Well, I don't believe I'd have put that on our website, Brother Jerry. Well, I'll do it and get them to put a line under it and say, Pastor said it two or three times. <laughs> Jesus hadn't changed his mind about fig trees that don't have figs. Jesus hasn't changed his mind about trees trying to uh, trick everybody and make everybody believe there's some, some something when they're not. Amen. He, he doesn't like it when a church has a reputation that thou art alive, but thou art dead. He doesn't like it where people get up and say, I've got it. I had a woman get up in church one time, and you don't laugh at this. We, she said, Brother Irwin, I want y'all to pray for my ministry. Said, I've got, uh, I've been seeking all nine of the spiritual gifts. And said, I've got five of them in my right hand, and I'm praying that God will give the other four in my left hand. (laughs) 
Well, I'm sure God's real proud of you. You mean they folks running around? Why, sure. And you got to be smart. Well, let me, let me fix that for you before we leave it. Gifts of the Spirit are not the private possession of any individual. They don't belong to any individual. They belong to the church. God put those in the church. I said God put those in the church for the edifying of the church. And for somebody to walk around and say, I've got five in this hand, four in this one, and when I, when I, when I get that other one, I'm going to go full time. Sorry, I'm just being a little funny. My Lord. Withered. What does withered mean? When they looked at it, when the disciples are coming back the, the next day, they looked at that particular branch or that fruit tree, and they looked at it, and, and they said, My Lord, Lord, what in the world are you you think about this withered tree. Say, so look at that thing. You spoke to it yesterday and told it it wouldn't have any fruit on it anymore. And look at it today. And Je you know what Jesus said? said one sentence. You know what he said? Have faith in God. Well, what does a withered tree have to do with my faith in God? Well, realize what that, what that really means. In Hosea chapter 9, verse 10, he said, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree at her first time. But they went to Baal Peor, which is an idol god, and separated themselves under that shame. And their abominations were according as they loved. You see, that, that fig tree is, is against, did against nature and against creation and against God's ordained plan of seasons and, and the order of things, and had said, I'm going to do this my way. And Jesus corrected that by saying, no, that's not going to happen, Jesus said. Sometimes we have to deal with things in the reality and deal with them. Israel was in a bad place. Israel had done, rejected Jesus, came unto his own, his own received him not. As many as did receive him, gave him power to become the son of God. This tree had thought, I can become supernatural. I can do this on my own. I don't need God to do this. I can do this on my own. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, said I don't have the kind of Holy Ghost that you've got. I said, you don't? He said, no, I don't, I don't have the kind. He said, in fact, the Holy Ghost I have and the Word of God really don't agree. I said, well, brother, I don't know what ghost you've got, but it's not the Holy Ghost. You got a ghost, all right. Ghost is an image of the real thing. You need to get the real thing. You need to get rid of that ghost that you've got that goes away and comes back. The Holy Ghost I've got, the Bible said, that he may abide with you forever. He doesn't go and come. He stays with me. Woo! Glory to God. He's the kind that gets in the car and rides beside me. He's, 
He's the kind of Holy Ghost that walks by my side no matter where I am and where, what I'm doing and what I'm involved in. He stays with me. He doesn't go and come like that. Woo. He said, well, I used to believe that. He said, I used to believe that it was the Holy Ghost that, that healed people and touched people, but said, now I know better it's me. I said, oh, my brother, you have done something terrible to your belief system, and you believed a bunch of hogwash. The devil has sold you a bill of goods. That's why you've got to be on your guard because this flesh that we live in fights against the things of the Spirit of God. The Bible said the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit lusteth against the flesh. There's a constant warfare going on in your mind. You say, oh, pastor, I never would say something as stupid as that. Hey, the devil is trying his best to get your mind right now. The Bible said we have the mind of Christ. Brother, you better keep the mind of Christ. This Holy Ghost I have helps you keep the mind of Christ so that I don't get the mind of the devil because the devil would like to get my mind and affect what I really believe. He'd like to tell me and convince me that God does not love me. He would like to convince me in my mind and make me think that God has abandoned me. I went with my dad to visit old brother A.M. Phillips before he died. And he looked at my dad, he said, John, he said, did you know that the devil just haunts me and terrorizes me every night, telling me that I'm not saved after all the messages I've preached and all the revivals and served on the executive committee of the church? And said, he tells me I'm not saved and tells me I, I don't know God, that God doesn't love me. What in the world would a devil do hanging around a, a dying saint of God trying to tell him that God don't love you and God don't care about you. Oh, he's a liar and the father of a lie. And I want to tell you right now, there's nothing that comes out his mouth but a lie. Don't you believe his lies. Don't you believe his propaganda. Don't believe all of that stuff trying to affect your mind, trying to pull you away from the Lord Jesus because he knows if he can pull you away from the Lord Jesus, you'll wither. I said, you'll wither. How many people do you reckon are sitting on pews in churches in America withered? Withered. The one good thing about being withered is this. You're not dead yet. There's still some roots. And if you can get some help from God, praise the Lord, let the water of life Amen. And the sunshine of God's grace and love shine upon you. You can, you, can, you can grow again. Praise God. God is the God of second chances. He'll help you. I said, he'll help you. I said, he'll help you. He'll help you. He'll help you. Well, my time's up, but let me tell you one more thing. When God came to Adam... He was hunting leaves. You know why he was hunting leaves? Because he had sinned and he'd broken fellowship with God and he found a fig tree because he needed its leaves. Do you know why he needed its leaves? 
He sewed them together so he could hide his shame. When Jesus comes to a fig tree, he's not looking for leaves. He's looking for fruit. Adam looks for leaves. Jesus looks for fruit. Stand with me. Boy, I've had a good time this morning. You know, life is peculiar, isn't it? Last weekend, two weddings. This weekend, two funerals. Wow. Life has those ups and downs. Life has those difficulties. The key is don't ever wither. Don't ever wither. Always pray that God will let you be fruitful. Be fruitful. It's the will of God that you be fruitful. You know, in that 15th chapter of, of John, when Jesus is talking about that branch and us being the branch and he's the vine, when you get over about the 15th verse in that 15th chapter, he says to all of us, now that I know that I can trust you. You see, God's put a lot of fruit in your life. Did you know that? That car you drive, that house you live in, those clothes you wear, the health of your family, finances, your retirement, all of those good things, God, those are fruit that God has decorated your life with fruit. Can you say that? God has decorated my life with fruit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, long-suffering, faith, patience, temperance, all of those things, all those good things that God's put in your life. Praise the Lord. That's great fruit. And you know what? At this time in the journey, there have been times when the devil has challenged that fruit. There have been times when Jesus would say to us, if I took all the fruit away, would you still serve me and would you still love me? Would you still preach my word? Would you still come to my house and lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubt? Would you still be in covenant with me with your tithe and your offer? Would you still, if some of the fruit were to go away, if the new car went away and you had to buy a 10-year-old model, if you had to wear clothes for two or three years instead of one year and throw them away, if some of the fruit that I've put in your life was to go away, would you still serve me? Would you still praise me? Would you still say, blessed be the name of the Lord? Then the Lord says this to you. Now that I know that if the fruit were gone, you'd still serve me. Now that I know that. He said, I'm going to change your status. You won't be servants anymore because a servant does not know what his Lord is doing. 
How many times have I had those of you in this congregation say to me, why, Brother Irwin? Why does this happen? Why did that happen? Why did that happen to my, my daughter? Why did that happen to my son? Why, why my mother? Why my dad? Why, why my, my friend? Right now you don't understand. But he said, I'm going to elevate you to a place in relationship with me that you won't be a servant anymore not knowing what God is doing, but I'm going to elevate you to that status of friend. And he said, I am going to take the things of God and I'm going to reveal the things of my Father unto you because now we've reached another status. We used to preach about it going to another level, going from servant to friend. Because Jesus said, now that I know that you will serve me anyway, then I'm going to let you in on why some things happen. But here's one, something you need to know. Every time you go to the next level, expect a bigger devil. I said, if you want to go to the next level, expect a bigger devil. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the next level. Greater is he that is in you than any difficulty, any problem that growing in grace would afford. Oh, I don't want the Lord to stand at my life and look at my life and see leaves and no fruit. Praise God when I, you laugh at me for saying it, but I'm still saying it after all these years. I may not hear him say, well done. But I sure want to hear him say, well tried. Well tried. Thank you, God, for being with us this morning. And thank you for the word of the Lord that is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of joints and marrow of the bone. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God, I thank you for that. I thank you that you have provided for every one of us that our lives can produce fruit, not just leaves. And don't let us, O oh Lord, get to the place that we're so leafy that we don't have room for fruit. Oh God, be with us on our journey this afternoon, Lord, and may our words to a congregation of people and to family be acceptable in your sight. Help us and keep us in the pavilion of your grace and under the care of your hand. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen and amen.